0: I need to know who's working for Lockheed <laughs> Martin and who's not. And on that note, I guess we'll start. Uh, hey everyone, it's the Piece at Home podcast. Uh I'm your co-host Sinan. Sorry about that intro; that was a bit more intense than usual. Anyway, I'll let my co-host jump in. Then
1: uh, I- I'm Ben. Hi. Uh, and I'm Jamie, enemy of the ant.
0: <laughs> What's <the fuck laughs> what? going on now? What's <laughs> happened?
1: I went, to, I went to fucking hang washing out like uh, yesterday. My entire garden is made of ants now. I oh, <laughs> What? That's Just what fucking... you get for going outside, man. Don't I know.
2: That's
1: it. To I be know. fair,
0: being inside hasn't helped me. I live on a fourth floor flat and we have ants.
1: <laughs> Those are some fucking industrious bastards, like, like quite I'm frankly.
0: Fucking, like I'm fucking archer. They're finally,
1: <laughs> finally inheriting
2: the earth. As was foretold. Yeah. told.
0: Fucking hell, man. It's. it's... It's been a ball. Haven't <laughs> a deal with that. Um, yeah, if well, I that, ever, that, if I ever have like a pizza and don't throw it away immediately, I, I see like a line of ants walk into the pizza box, and then my partner's like, "Oh yeah, you see, we've got ants now because of you." And it's like, we've always had them. <laughs> like, how is this my fault? Clearly, they're they're very well organized. Mick Lynch has been organizing the ants in my flat, and frankly, I want him to stop. Now that that's on a on the conspiracy
1: RMT. theory. Yeah. It's exactly. The, get, the, get the Daily Mail on the blower.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I reckon I could get paid like a hundred quid for that one.
1: That's the real,
2: real summer of strikes that we're going to see is all the bugs rising up.
0: Oh, hell yeah. That's it. Bug yeah, well, nation. That's going <laughs> to the UK be, finally becoming a worm country.
1: Well, I, I went out, I went out to hang the washing out, like I say, and I was stood there like hanging things on the fucking line. And I felt like a tickling on my foot and I, I looked down and my slippers were just covered in that. So I was like, oh, well, this oh, is good. Fuck. <laughs> So I had to like fucking, I had such a job getting back in the house as well, because I had to like basically like take, like stand at the door, take one slipper off and like fucking, do you know what I mean? Like flick ants off it until it was as clean as I could get it and then put it back on and step inside and then do the same with the other foot.
0: Oh, (laughs) Jesus Christ. So we did 10 episodes. We made it to 10. Yeah. Oh shit! I, speaking of which, we made it to ten, but I also forgot to mention that our music's by Jordan because I was oh, so yeah, yeah. I was so worked up about the fucking Lockheed Martin stuff. I was <laughs> like, Jordan, who the fuck's that? I don't know. Does Jordan work for Lockheed Martin? He's never told us whether he has or not.
2: <laughs> I'm just going to assume everybody works for Lockheed Martin until, yeah. they, until they state otherwise.
1: <laughs> I, I I think Jordan's more of a Raytheon guy.
0: Yeah vibes it's all about vibes god i'm so i'm so mad at like Uru small bean shit today <laughs> like i've <laughs> lost my i've just seen like a fucking take that was like owen jones is causing Keir Starmer so much stress that he's forcing him to make bad decisions oh yeah oh, that, yes. that was
1: beautiful that man <laughs> and it Amazing. was just like
0: it was like sublime it was like baby's first hot take oh. was, leader
1: like, of a majesty's small opposition
0: yeah. yeah, Like you can't conceive of a more powerful like third, like opening take to see from someone. It's so mad to me. But <laughs> but but we made it to ten episodes, which means one we're as Jamie said in the last episode, we're more successful than a lot of Netflix originals. So we've got no. that going for us. <laughs> Second of all, it means somehow very like fortunately, we've managed to round off like the first big guy era. In ten episodes.
2: And what a ten episodes it was.
0: It was. It was wild. I mean, we had... Well, what did we have? We had pirates who were socialists. Uh, <laughs> we, we had very suspicious paintings that did not portray events accurately. Mm. Yeah. We had breakaway republics. You know, already. We were in breakaway yeah. republics. We had we
1: had, a, uh, we had a roof theft.
0: We had a roof theft. I mean, to be fair, that didn't happen in the time period of the main episode, <laughs> no. but we did have a roof theft happen in one of didn't the episodes. Happen,
1: didn't happen in the time period we we covered that we know of. Aye.
0: And, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure if I have a look through some old records, they'll be just like the same guy. <laughs> just I, I also suppose
2: on a slightly darker note, that, that forced population displacements are a form of roof theft.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, in a sense... Yeah, we did also have a lot of forced population movements and redistribution of people mm. and all sorts of fucking horrible things. But we're going to talk about some of those horrible things here because Artaturk is gone. He's done. He's out the door. We'll never hear from him again. He certainly will not loom over the country as a cult of personality is formed around him. That won't happen. <laughs> no,
2: definitely not. No. it's Never it's, heard of the guy.
0: <laughs> I Yeah, you know, this this podcast was the first time I heard of the guy. Despite the fact that both sets of my grandparents had this portrait on the wall, I'd never heard of him.
2: It. Yeah, it's just some dude.
0: Yeah, it's just some dude, exactly. <laughs> some dude at the governing factory. Now, yeah. <laughs> the other dude at the governing factory is the guy who took over from him. Hand picked successor, unanimously selected by the Republican People's Party at their party sort of conference, if you like. To succeed him. Ismet Inonu. He's here. It's time. The guy. We're gonna have to... Yeah, I mean, to, in a lot of ways, he is the real guy. He's the mm. real force behind a lot of what ails Turkey today and yeah. was very he's wrong the, about the, see the guy?
1: Is he the guy we got wrong on Twitter for not being mean enough about? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. the, now, him yes. I have heard of. Yeah, yeah the, the guy... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you're going to hear a lot more about him, because his political career ends in 1971. Jesus. He becomes Prime Minister in 1923
2: for the first time. I'm going to annoy everyone by calling him Turkish de Valera from now on.
0: But in a lot of ways, that does make some sense as an analogy, but also, I don't know how much, like, explicit like, fascism and genocide, de Valera did. Probably not ah. a bit of fascism, to be fair. Well,
2: he was a big fan of Hitler, we will say that.
0: Yeah, Isma news thing wasn't so much Hitler as Mussolini. Ah, nice. But Hitler was also a, a, it was also a kind of thing going on. But that was... We'll get to it, because we, there are a few questions. So these next few episodes are kind of going to be about the man's government from 1938 to 1950. That's the period we're going to cover over the next probably two episodes, I would reckon, it takes. Well, maybe three, actually, because we're we going to kind of need to introduce, reintroduce everyone to, to the concept of Turkey in 1938, and the world in 1938, because a lot's going on in 1938, it turns out. It's a busy time.
2: Yeah, a period of unparalleled prosperity and stability in the world. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, that's what I, That's what many said about it. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I won't think. Don't think too hard about Czechoslovakia or anything like that. We'll get to it. But we're going to need a- it,
2: it. It's in the name of the podcast: peace at home, peace in the world. And I don't see <laughs> anything deviating from that as we go forward.
0: Well, well. I mean, in fairness, I'll pose the question to you and the listeners: Did it sound like we had a lot of peace at home in the first ten episodes?
1: <laughs> no. No. Not really.
0: Yeah, it didn't really feel like a place where there was a lot of peace at home going on, right? And also, the world did not really have but very I'm, much. I'm peace sure.
1: Going on. I'm sure that's all behind us. And now to take a big <laughs> sip of coffee and read the piece of paper I have in my hand.
0: <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, the year 1938. Peace in our time was it? Neville Chamberlain said um, oh, it, was, yeah. it was peace in our time. So. On that, on that auspicious note, uh, famously Neville Chamberlain went down as one of the greatest prime ministers in British history. Absolutely <laughs> no, no, cole- there's no consensus across almost every party line that he was a piece of shit and a loser. Like that certainly doesn't exist.
1: Well, he committed he committed the worst of British sins, and he allowed the Germans to get one over on him. Mm.
0: Yeah, see, I simply would not get owned by the Germans. Yeah, but. R- a, they, in had, to, to be they had to
2: do—they had to do a whole other world war and a whole world cup just to just to win it back. You know?
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, once we've sort of introduced the sort of questions I want to answer, I was going to ask you two a question. But we'll, well, first of all, let's see what the questions are, right? Because Isma Inonu, um, my parents have a book by actually oddly one of the Kadroists, um, actually, who wrote a book about him and Arthur biography, it's called Ikinjadam, which means the second man, right? Yeah. And that is very much how he's kind of depicted. He is the second man. He's he's not the he's never even though he was leader of Turkey for well, okay, I'm gonna have to do a bit of quick probably well, at least twelve years as president. And then he had another stint as prime minister in like the sixties. Uh Jesus. And that and, and to be fair, that followed a military coup, which we will cover because Boy, did boy did that unleash a lot of fucking problems in the country.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say, I've, I've never read The Second Man, but I think I've seen the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell.
0: <laughs> so, the questions I kind of want to answer are, who was Isma Inonu really, right? Because he's an interesting guy. Because he, he has this extremely long political career. He has a degree of respect I would say he commands a degree of respect across a lot of different political strands in Turkey. Some you might not expect, right? And is he he more than a meme that me and Ben made because of a really, really good Hudson Iron 4 game, and also (laughs) switching off his hearing aid? Is he perhaps more than that? Is there more to the guy? And how much of a piece of shit was he actually? Because that's an interesting question. Mm. I also wanted to think about Sort of a more a more sort of broad question it goes beyond Turkey, right? Which is like, where do you derive legitimacy from if you're a leader, right? Because İsmet İnönü had to make himself legitimate and be able to rule in quite what I would call quite difficult circumstances from the perspective of someone who aspires to govern a country because the totemic leader has passed away. You're his handpicked successor. Your position depended on this guy who's now dead, right? Yeah,
2: it sounds like a really tough act to follow, yeah.
0: Yeah, How and also, you're in a country who officially has ascribed to a specific interpretation of populism expressed through sovereignty unconditionally belonging to the people. But did the people pick you? No. How how are they exercising their sovereignty if you become a dictatorial president over them? How does, that, how does that work? Is that? How do you justify that? How does that actually work, right? There's also another question about him I wanted to answer, actually, which is there's a sort of interpretation of him where he sort of comes in as a dictator and leaves as a Democrat, right? Because he's a dictator who allowed himself to lose an election. Hmm. Which is weird, right? But yeah. how, how do you get there, right? How do you get there? And by the way, I don't think he left office as a Democrat because it was um, when we when we get there you understand I really, really don't think he left office as a Democrat. Particularly because like the security services were like, you know, it? we could just rig the election for you. And he was like, I don't really think we should be doing that. I think I'll just step down to be honest, lads. Like <laughs> I think I was just supposed to let him have a crack, you know. That's not really that's a that's a, a dramatization of what happened. But you'll you'll get to see why I don't think that's the case. I also, because we're going into World War II, spoiler alert, I I guess all that peace in our time stuff was a load of bullshit. I wanted Mm. to think about Turkey's role in World War II, because we have a particular vision of what neutrality is and what it entails. And I think the way we think about neutrality is wrong, and I think Turkey's a great case study. I think Turkey and Switzerland are both great case studies of why we're wrong about what neutrality is. But... Turkey is the country we're talking about. If you want a Switzerland podcast, I don't know, get Rob on the fucking phone. <laughs> get him doing it, I guess. I don't know. Get Rob and Elijah. Rob and Elijah can do a Switzerland podcast. be like, God, what would that be called? And oh. who, would their, who would their laser eyes figure be on their
1: logo? <laughs> like, well, at least we know who would do the music.
0: Yeah, Jordan would obviously do the music. <laughs> <laughs> God, could you imagine, like, a Swiss-style metal
2: intro? That would be Celtic Frost.
0: Oh yeah, that's true, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Oh I guess Elevite, Elevite are um a Swiss. So it could be Elevite if you if you like your if you like your sort of folkish power metal. So yeah, what is neutrality? How does it actually work? And also how much of a continuation was Isma Inonu would Mustafa Kamal? Like how much of it is Mustafa Kamal continuation and how much of it is Isma Inonu as Prime Minister just keeping on, keeping on? and carrying on with what so, he was up to before
2: so how, how long did he play covers before starting to write his own songs
0: Mmm, that's it yeah <laughs> and to be fair there's a very very specific case study that kind of like ties everything about Isma Anu together quite nicely and all of these questions together quite nicely but we'll see we'll see if we get there you know let's let's see how we do with time so right you two. Question. So I'm always told that in the British education system you're taught about two World Wars, one World Cup, right? <laughs> I'm always told this. I might have even gone through the same education system myself, so maybe I can confirm that. But what what do you know about Turkey in World War Two? then? What do you know about what it was up to in World War Two?
1: Fuck all.
2: I know that Istanbul was... Uh... Sort of a locus of a lot of intelligence work. It was sort of, sort of thought of as a city of spies. Mm-hmm. And that Turkey mostly stayed out of the war. Well, it was non-belligerent, certainly. Uh, beyond that, don't really have much knowledge, except that obviously it bordered the Soviet Union and what became Axis Europe at the time, so probably had to trade quite carefully.
0: And also, worth noting, uh, Allied-aligned Middle Eastern mandate governments
2: Oh, yes, yes, them as well.
0: So they are literally in the middle of everything that could possibly happen. And also, to be fair, wait, who got control of Syria after the French fell? Did Free France retain the mandate over Syria, or did Vichy France get that?
2: I believe Free France did after a while. I don't know, I think it changed allegiances a wee bit. The the colonial officials were like, who's winning just now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. That makes an awful lot of sense. Colonial officials be like that. We will actually be talking about uh, the Syrian Mandate government and France uh, when we get to this case study because it's a very important. And this case is
1: study. all um, this is all news to me because literally all they taught us about World War Two was the the Blitz, the Battle of Britain, Dunkirk, and D-Day.
2: Yeah, we just did it all ourselves. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: that's it.
3: Yeah, I mean,
2: well, Britain stands alone. You know. <laughs>
0: Yeah. They they stand alone <laughs> while the Soviet Union are throwing men into the meat grinder. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Classic. Classic Britain, you know. But, Turkey, is it may, it may surprise you to know that e- despite being sort of a non-belligerent, well, kinda, I guess we'll kinda cover that, uh, <laughs> despite being a non-belligerent, Turkey has its own mythology about World War II.
2: Oh, Be- Because of
0: course it does! <laughs> of course it does! Right? Now, um, now, not all of the mythology is rooted in a lie. All right. Some of the stuff is rooted in stuff that's true. But it's interesting when and what got emphasized and for what reason. Right.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: So we will come to it in detail. But some, there, there was a period of time where quite a lot of historical films about Turkey were coming out. You had like uh, biopics about Ataturk and stuff like that. There was a film and I've fucking forgotten the name of it, um, which was about uh, Turkish ambassadors in Axis-occupied Europe who would deliberately, sort of not deliberately, well, yes, deliberately, would, would give Jewish people Turkish passports. Aha. Uh-huh. Because, for a while, because of reasons we will get into, Turkey managed to maintain, unfortunately, good relations with Nazi Germany, Mm. Uh, we grimace. You can hear the grimace in my recording. You can see the waveform where yeah. it happened. But that is what happened. And there's, you know, there's no denial here of that. And they basically, the Germans recognized Turkish citizens as honorary Aryans, Aha. even if they were Jewish, because Turkey had enough pull with the Nazis to sort of demand that all of their citizens were protected. Right. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so, and we'll, we'll probably talk about the film specifically in a bonus because I want to watch the film again, but the long story short of it is that the Nazis eventually decide actually, you know what, even if they're Turkish, they're still Jewish and therefore, etc, etc, and so Turkey, the Turkish embassy officials and Turkish government get them the fuck out of there.
3: Mm. It's
0: a whole thing. But it's, it's kind of like a docudrama. I think it's like half interviews with people who are rescued and half sort of like a dramatized thing. I'll need to find it and remember the name of it. It's a very very very like, it's really like, it's lodged in my mind, this particular thing. There's also like, genuine acts of heroism that we will probably talk about in bonuses I reckon. Well, I don't know, it's anti-Italian. I want all the anti-Italian content really on the main stuff.
1: Is, um, <laughs> is the film just called Turkish Passport?
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, hold on. Let me let me try and get a get a read on it. Yes, yeah, that is it. Yeah, that's exactly it.
2: You you literally just Google Turkish passport film, and it was the first thing that came up. Yeah, that yeah. that is
0: it. Yeah, yeah that that is the film. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know there are um basically they emphasise the story, even though there's quite a lot of uh a lot of questions about historical accuracy. Right. Mm. This is this is what I mean by mythology.
2: Yeah, the details get kind of swept under for the the. Yeah, of well, the, it's not even yeah. that.
0: Like, it's there are details that are swept under, like Turkish Jews being killed in the Holocaust, which mm. is Bad. I would suggest a pretty important part of the fucking narrative. Yeah, being told here <laughs> actually, and also it's a known fact that Turkish embassy officials. Counter to this narrative presented in the film, denied Jewish people Turkish citizenship as well.
2: Yeah, did it is selectively? A bit of- <laughs> it is.
0: It is a known fact. Also, apparently, and I don't remember this. I've just looked this up. Apparently, one of the perpetrators of the Armenian genocide is portrayed as a rescuer.
2: Oh ooh, fuck, man!
0: Which tells you something about um about this. So this. This is what I mean by a mythology about World War II, right? It is not grounded in reality when you cast a slightly critical eye on it, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what we're what we're going to try and do here, is look at, well, at least in part, for the World War II stuff, we're going to cast a critical eye on what the Turkish state was actually doing. And also, there, there is a Turkish diplomat who we will talk about who actually did do good things in world war 2. That is that is the kind of mythology myth-building that we are we're dealing with here, right? We're dealing with It's it's it's almost bigger than the myth-building you see in Britain, right? Mm. It's it's it's a bigger lie than the lie Britain tells itself in a lot of ways, right? It's Yeah. Like at least Britain was a belligerent in world war 2. At least no one's lying about that bit. You
3: yeah,
1: know? yeah. Yeah.
0: Like and you know, as much, and to be fair, British people do tell, well, the British official line is a lie along a similar line. Because there's this whole thing about we fought for democracy and to liberate people and all this other stuff. You didn't do that, really. No. That's, not, no. that's, not what, that's not what happened. <laughs> like, how,
1: how dare you? I learned differently in school. And frankly, like, you know what I mean? No, no facts have ever changed since I left school.
0: <laughs> I'll be sent I'll be sent the fucking Rishi Shunak's fucking prevent program now after saying that, won't I?
1: Oh, like he's fucking winning. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well. Yeah, true. You'll be sent you'll be sent to Liz Truss's legally distinct prevent program. <laughs>
2: oh boy. Oh
0: man. I'm oh, I'm so I, I I'm pretty sure like the progression of these episodes you can hear me getting gradually more and more gutted that it's definitely going to be Liz Truss. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it's so bad that it's come to this. It's the sign of a country that's definitely run out of road, hasn't it? Like, it's magically yeah.
2: locked in by now as well. It's just
1: Well, oh, it's I mean, hopefully, hopefully I can afford to like, upgrade my computer and finally play some modern games before she starts nuclear war with Russia and China at the same time.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. God damn it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi tried her best to get us all killed and even she couldn't do it, so... Couldn't even get herself killed
2: for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah. Well Yeah.
1: Do you know do you know what like someone on someone on Twitter was pointing out to me that apparently that's because her husband was due in court today for uh, for a DUI. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? I'm imagine
0: not. imagine flaring up tensions with China because your husband is is in court for a DUI.
1: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just that, of course, she's also manipulating the stock market because you know what I mean, never let a crisis go to waste. But oh, for especially not, especially oh, yeah. not if it's a crisis you yourself manufactured.
0: Yeah, doesn't she have like stocks in some semiconductor firm in uh, in Taiwan? Yeah, that it, it's
1: it's some uh, company in Taiwan that's going to open factories in America because they have passed some new set of rules about like you the, the government has to use American microchips. So that yeah, the nefarious, the, like the, uh... the nefarious foreigner can't like get hands on their bits. It's
0: the <laughs> it's the Taiwanese uh, semiconductor
1: companies. Yeah. Her and her husband, her and her husband dumped all their Nvidia stock at a loss before they went because like, obviously if China did invade Taiwan, like Nvidia are up shit creek because they manufacture their chips in Taiwan. Oh my God. Man. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, the world, the world is run by pirates and not even cool pirates. It's, no, it's yeah. fucking infuriating like <laughs> shit ones. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so we got, we got distracted one by Sorry. me getting mad at this film <laughs> and two by fucking Taiwan. Um, but yeah, I'm mad at this film. I think we will do a an episode. Well, probably a bonus episode on the film where I will explain every historical inaccuracy in great detail because it's pissed me off remembering it now. Just wait,
1: wait, wait for like an hundred years time when like some fucking Enterprise and like descendants of ours in the post-apocalyptic world are recording the War at Everywhere podcast and talking about <laughs> this moment right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh no! What state are we gonna found where the slogan is "war, war at home, war on the world"? What fucking state are we gonna form where that's what we fucking go with? An ironically yeah, written, very Britain peaceful too. and stable one. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. the The thing is, like, if we're taking this to to heart, then yeah, it would be a very stable and legitimately good for world peace and like state. Not that such a thing could exist, but well, stable states certainly exist, but. Good states? I don't think so. I'm not. I'm not so convinced by the concept of a good state. You know. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, let's uh, let's make a bit of progress. So we are beginning in 1938, November 1938. That is when İsmet İnönü officially becomes the president of Turkey. He's the second man at last. Well, the second man no more. Really, he's the man. He's the new guy. And just to put some more historical context for you all. We're about 11 months, really, from the actual recognized formal beginning of World War II. Now, you might say to me that really, you know, it's the sedating crisis where it really begins. Or, you know, uh, it's, what's it, uh, Japan's invasion of China. Yeah, I, you, you might be right. I'm just saying, that's the those are the dates people recognize. That's what we're going with. So... We've had the rise of the Nazis, and obviously we've long had Mussolini. Mussolini's been a recurring character in the background of this, of this podcast for far, far too many occasions. But we've had the rise of the Nazis, and the Nazis had this interesting way of relating to the Kemalists, right? Because one part of it is that Turkey and Germany were allies in... Well, the Ottoman Empire and Germany were allies in World War I. So, A lot of German people who were in the military, particularly officer class people, worked closely with Turkish military officers, right? Yeah. Now, the Nazis took inspiration from a lot of different places, right? Uh, America's eugenics program, for one, just as an example. Uh, Also, Britain in South Africa, Mm. as an example of one of the other things they took inspiration from. But actually... One of the oft-cited inspirations are German military officers who aligned later politically with the Nazis who were in the Caucasus Front around 1914,
2: 1915, and so on, right? Oh, boy.
0: Because that is where the genocide happens, right? And they, the military is intimately involved in the genocide because, get this, how are you going to march people through a desert? You know, how are you going to make him do it if you don't have guns to make him do it? Right.
3: Yeah.
0: Now, that means a lot of German military officers had first-hand, close knowledge and contact with the methods used by the Ottomans. Now, admittedly, Germany uh, is was a, is is and was a much more sort of industrial state. You know, the methods were different, right? Mm.
2: But oh, the lessons,
0: any. but the lessons learned were important, right? Like not how. Oh, sorry, Not to mention,
2: sorry, just briefly, they, they also had their own experience with sort of industrialized genocide with the Herero and the Namibian genocides in South West Africa as well.
0: Yes, oh, there's a lot going on. In fact, I think mm. Strang mentioned that in the in the replies to uh, to a set of private tweets um, because we were talking about uh, German stuff actually. But mm. yeah, so Germany has this experience of its own. It draws inspiration, you know, America, Britain, Turkey, all sorts of countries, right? Because The thing that's overlooked about the interwar period, particularly because it's where a lot of nation states started emerging, right? Is that that tends to lead to genocide. Yeah. Because ethnostates are the order of the day, right? That is the way in which most countries in practice understood the concept of the nation even if on paper they said that's civic civic nationalism right it's it's about the land not the not the, the ethnic people. group but yeah well i didn't want to say the people because that's not because it's mm. all it's all constructs all the way down right yeah. um so i'm try i'm trying to phrase it carefully but the nazis won a lot of nazi sort of ally- aligned military folk in the german officer corps uh not the this this is kind of the complicated thing about Germany in World War II, where a lot of the officers were just like Prussian, you know, old-school Prussians, who basically did not care for ideology and just cared about pressing the win button. Yeah. Uh, which is terrible. Uh, it turns out it means you do terrible things. Who's, who's to say what that's an analogy for in the modern day? But they also have this envy of the Kemalists, right? Because think about the treaties that were imposed on the central powers, right? Hungary in particular got fu- got it in the fucking face, really, <laughs> because they they were eviscerated as a territory um, by their treaty. Uh, Germany obviously famously has Versailles, uh, which is considered a contributing factor to World War II itself. And Turkey had uh, Sevres, Right, that was its treaty—the one that in the first episode, the one they were busy saying was a piece of shit. Right?
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, but of these central powers, only one of them gets got to tell the allies to go fuck themselves, mm. and it was Turkey. So there's this element in sort of from the Nazis, at least if you read their comments on it, where they're like, "Man, they're so cool. They managed to do it," you know. <laughs> God, if only we could do such a thing. Now, that's not to say had the Kemalists not done it and not formed a Turkish state that they wouldn't have tried to do it anyway, but it's interesting that the existence of a sort of, what what they thought a successful version of their project looked like looked like Turkey when İsmet Inonu was Prime Minister and making an awful lot of the decisions. Because we're talking about, you know, 30s onwards. Mustafa Kemal, is, his health is Beginning to ail at that point, and his focus is more on social reform. You know, the, the, going around the country teaching people how to read. Right, that's that's where the focus is on more than say the the sort of specifics of governing and putting down revolts. That's it's met in on his job, right? That's why he returned as prime minister in the twenties. Right, they had to recall yeah. him even though he had health problems. Which I mean, for a man who was having health problems in 1924. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> to prolong his political career until 1971, it's 1970 something. Someone's going some smart ass is gonna be like, "Oh well, he was still a member of parliament or whatever." But like, when you're not the leader, it's over. As far as I'm concerned, you're done, right? Mm. So the Nazis go on to, you know, do rearmament for Germany. They, um, they go into demil they remilitarize the Rhineland, and that brings us sort of onto. A big decision that Isma Inonu has a strong hand in, right? Which is the remilitarization of the straits. That sounds like something else when I say it like that. Like we're, yeah. re- we're like we're militarising straight people.
2: Yeah, looking at the episode notes, you've spelled it that way as well, which is really Have I? confusing. Oh <laughs> yeah.
0: God damn it! Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think
0: I think I was I think I had something on my mind today. <laughs> I, Arming I had up some-
2: for the hetero jihad, are we? Yeah,
0: that's it. Yeah. Well, if I don't, I don't think I'm. Uh, Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I qualify for that jihad for some reason. But okay. Um, wow, that might be the first time I've said that on something that's going to be published. So there you wow. go. Um, so there you go. Um, wow! There Congratulations. You go. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, Fully supporting
2: straight erasure here. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> anyway, remilitarizing the straits. God, I can't stop. think um, <laughs> it is that. God fucking damn it! Right, so mili- remilitarizing the straits.
2: Are they does, okay?
0: Uh, no, no, no, no, no, no. <laughs> no, they're not. But remilitarizing. Are they ever? The strait- yeah. Are they ever? I mean, I've seen I've seen some really like powerful posts that like are the straits okay, and it's like the worst shit I've ever seen. Where it's like, <laughs> no, I feel like the the like not the police, but like someone should intervene in this situation. <laughs> I don't think this is like a memeable moment, people, but. But remilitarizing the Straits antagonizes sweating, the, the Soviet The sweating
1: human. guy looking at two buttons and one of them's like, make a meme and the other one's call a priest.
3: <laughs> oh my fucking God.
0: I am currently the sweating man right now because it is very warm in my flat. But
1: Yeah, I'm fucking dying.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... The thing is, we had the killer heat wave but that was like two days. Now we're like consistently in the high 20s here. Yeah. days on end. And I'm wearing my Hawaiian shirt and all that good stuff, but fuck me, is it is it not helping?
1: Yeah, but, the two the two day heat wave was like it was it was fucking awful, but it was over quickly. Whereas yeah. this is more like last year's fucking summer of like, you know, when, when Twitter just turned into the event horizon. And like oh, everyone yeah. was just posting the most cursed shit. It feels like that.
0: The twenty twenty heat wave was a fucking nightmare oh, as well. Yeah. Because we had lockdown and that was when I made my first Praxis cast appearance and I was talking about Star Trek. Yeah, and, really. like, and, Oh, God, yeah. And, like, <laughs> I don't think it came out in the recording, but I was, like, pretty much precisely in the middle of, like, a months long depressive episode at that point. So I was like, and I, I was like, oh, sorry if I came out flat. And then, like, David was like, oh, no, you came out great in the recording. Don't worry about it. I was like, oh, so I just felt like a piece of shit. Okay. For <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> where I clocked what the problem was for the first time. Anyway. Yeah, I, re- I
1: remember the fucking holodeck chat on that episode, like Jesus.
0: <laughs> yeah, like jerking off <laughs> on the holodeck. God damn it.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: It's a good episode. I had, it I like, is. it, like, genuinely, like, if I sound a bit flat, it is because of that. But also, like, doing content stuff got me back to normal for, like, a little bit. So I was, Sweet. like, desperate to go on to anything at that point. So, yeah, yeah good job Praxis cast summoned me. Um, maybe I'll be on PraxisCast again soon.
1: Maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's just let's just say maybe some dms were exchanged and dates were spoken about so we're antagonizing the soviet union that's a that's a that's a problem for turkey now obviously we eventually end up with a new convention on the straits it's fine but this willingness to antagonize the soviet union hints at a direction right it's the first sign of like turkey positioning itself a little bit in its neutrality right so, it's it's neutral, but it's not you know, uh, what, what's the word people use to describe the BBC? Impartial. Right? Yeah. It's not impartial. It's partial. It picks sides. It has preferences, right? And the long-form historical preference is Germany. Right? Only... Yeah. But also, like, the longer, longer-form historical preference is Britain. So, um... <laughs> It gets confusing, let's say let say that.
2: They're just, just winking at each one of them in turn. Oh,
0: yeah, it's fully like, you know, Mac, it's like I'm playing both sides, so I always come out on top. <laughs> <laughs> I literally watched that episode last night. So, so Inonu himself has this long, long history, right? A long political history. He's been Prime Minister on and off, mostly on, since 1923, right? So he's coming into the job with 15 years experience as prime minister. Uh, He was the foreign minister for the, you know, the provisional government, right? Mm. He's coming. But it's important to, one, remember that a lot of the horrible stuff we talked about in previous episodes, you know, the bombing of civilians, which, as people will recall, the newspapers were like, yeah, you know, this is is awesome. And it's the kind of thing you would hear a street fascist brag about, but in a broadsheet paper. Which I suppose in Britain is something we kind of yeah. understand quite well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, day-ending so,
1: and why, that look.
0: Yeah, like, but I, it, but I just want to emphasize, the countries are very normal. <laughs> this is a very regular occurrence, <laughs> as it turns out. But, and he personally has a hand in how brutal these things are, right? Because you don't get called back to be Prime Minister from health problems to put down a revolt. Unless you're going to put down the revolt. Yeah. Right? And you can go listen to those episodes from before. Um, you know, we talk about Sheikh side rebellion, um, some genocide, which he is almost definitely personally implicated in as a decision maker there. Um, you know, the, um, the, the, what was it called? It was like the strategy on the East paper. You know, his government, uh, he ends up not following through with a lot of it, but he ends up following through with significant portions of it, like population relocation. If it was the Soviet Union, we would call these deportations. Mm. Like, I just want to be clear around the language here, which is that we use harsher language for some countries than others. These are deportations.
2: Yeah, like, and it, these, the other thing is, there's always something ominous about having a plan for your eastern frontier. Yeah, wherever it's Whatever it's called.
0: It's never great. I, having, like, in general, answer, having a question about an ethnic group, mm. um, having, you know, a plan to pass a pacification plan... Um, you know, seeking to expand living space, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. Not good, don't do them. Don't do them. Never go anywhere good. Just don't do them. Like, yeah. and by the way, I've categorized those things together because there's a characterization of Isma Inonu as a fascist. And Mm. when you look at the stuff he's responsible for, and the... Ma- and sort of the lines on which these decisions were made, and also even like the the associations he made and the inspirations he drew, I mean it gets harder to deny as you go through, but he is actually a, he's come into this with form basically, because there's going to be a lot of stuff we talk about here where you will you two and listeners will hear it and go, that sounds fucking horrifying like these oh, are horrifying boy, right? things to do and one, they are, they are horrifying things to do. Two, there's a context to why the, he felt comfortable and able to make these decisions, right? Mm. There's a power base he builds for himself. There's, and in fact, that will be what we kind of talk about as sort of the big historical substance here. How he builds this power base for himself is interesting, but we need to note this is a person with history. He's not come out fresh from the womb to become president of Turkey right? He has experience at the top of the Turkish government, and has had a hand in the decisions that have been made up until now. I do want to note, interestingly, that he has, he's come into this after recently being dismissed as Prime Minister, though. Huh. So he's actually, he's actually come into this position from a relative position of weakness, actually. Because Atatürk in 1937, Turkey having cleared the Great Depression, as we discussed, Atatürk's looking at him doing his five-year plans, and he's like, yeah, the five-year plans, you know, those were great, but when are we going to do this liberalism stuff I've been really wanting to do? And Ismaq was like, I was thinking, never, because it doesn't work. And <laughs> was like, I think I'm going to dissolve the government and have Jalal Bayar in charge for a bit. Boo. Now, Jalal Bayar is, um, I don't know if we want to do, like, a bonus on Jalal Bayar, because he's sort of, he's important. And he's actually becomes president of Turkey, if I recall correctly, in fact he is in fact Ismetunu's successor, I think, as president of Turkey, yeah, and these two have an intense rivalry, right, like they are uh, one, both the respective heads of the factions within the Republican people's Party, right? We talked about them the the statist and the liberals is how we labeled them for the sake of you know simplicity, yeah yeah, because i if we get into every single like. There's a lot of look. These people existed in the same party, and unlike the Labour Party, um, these people probably did belong in the same party in this particular context. So mm. there's a lot of overlap, and there's a lot of disagreement. And Mustafa Kamal decides, you know what? We're going to get Jalal Bayar in. We're going to do some liberalism. Uh, it it occurs to people that um, it, uh, it doesn't. It's not very. It's not very popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not, not terribly popular. So Inonu is uh, unanimously elected as leader of the Republican People's Party. And there's the question of how do you make yourself legitimate, right? That was one of the questions I wanted to answer. And you might be, I, I don't know, there's lots of different thoughts on what grants government's legitimacy, right? So you could, you could be like a social contract guy, right? Consent of the governed. You know, you have to meet certain obligations through social contracts and the governed consent to your governing over them. And everything should hypothetically be fine. I mean, in the UK, that, you know, we have a social contract. Uh-huh. You know, like Ke- Keir Starmer wants to sign a contract with the British people. And I, for one, think the British people will absolutely be wallet inspected by it. Oh, But, yes. but you know, that language that Keir Starmer uses borrows from that idea, right? Or, you know, we're... Uh, we're well, I, I don't want to put labels on us, but I would say we're mostly communist-ish. You know, yeah. the only legitimate form of government is a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? Yeah. You know, government by the working class for the working class. You yes, know, that, that is perhaps a thought on how you build a legitimate government. You could just be, you know, you could be a fucking what's it, you know, a monarchist, right? You could you could believe that the myth that God literally picked this one family to rule over us and that declining to follow that is a is a heinous sin and legitimacy is in fact drawn from hereditary birth. I think that's a load of bullshit. I think I think the way I phrased that made it sound like I didn't care for it. particularly. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm I'm I, I don't know God, so I'm not going to dispute whether God did or didn't say the Queen was the best person for the job. But if like, regardless of what God said, it's fucking wrong. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, if, like, yeah. I, I don't see why we have to do what God says. Yeah, like, exactly. You know what and, I mean, have, and, God has a problem with it. Then come down here and fucking speak to me about it. Yeah, I, I realize.
0: I, <laughs> just imagining him dialing into the podcast.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> like,
0: he just its like us asking God on the podcast what the one true form of government is and he just he just shows us an image of Stalin in our heads. It's like oh god damn it he was right all along. <laughs> I mean Stalin was a priest once. Anyway, anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> Not the point of the podcast. But that was a bit disco elysian me. I went through every form of government there. <laughs> And it turns out <laughs> they all fucking suck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what if we invented a fourth form of government said Isma Inonu? No, he didn't really do
2: that. Every school of thought and form of government has been tried in this podcast and they've all failed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've got the video about Disco Losing coming out and I'm so excited for yes. it. Um, I have to record extra bits for it. That's how that's how I've got. But but So Isma Inonu decides, one, his connection to the military. Is important. Remember, Ismail Inalu was a military officer, right? His whole e- even his family background is in the military. Well, kind of in the military. His dad was a bureaucrat in the war ministry. Right? Right. Like, um mm. so there's some military connection there as it is, right? Just so thinking he, if
2: he if he was alive today, he'd be on Twitter being a big oo small bean about things.
0: Oh yeah, he would. He would be. In fact, I've got the name of the report here: "Report for Reform for the, in the East." Again, oh. do not do not reform cardinal directions.
1: That no. sounds that sounds incredibly euphemistic, doesn't it? Reform well, you, in the East. Who could disagree with that?
0: Yeah, but you know, you read the report. Well, I mean, such yeah. as you can these days. <laughs> I mean, it's in Ottoman Turkish. Like, fuck if I can read it. Right, I'm relying on translations, but. As we as we sort of talked about in that episode, it basically didn't want Kurdish people to have certain jobs, lest they be able to form an elite of their own, a sort of modern elite, and you know have governing experience. Because then, mm. well, if you have governing experience, you can just do us what we did to the Ottomans. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the whole thing. And look, there are lots of resettlement things that he's presided over, particularly resettling Albanians, incidentally, which... Oh. I find... Oh God, just like the levels of racism are, are just exhausting to have to read about. You see what I put myself through for these for these episodes and why the notes come out where I'm just like, I'm fucking done. You know? Mm. But he tries to construct this cult of personality around himself, right? That's, that's his go-to move. And so he... He gives himself, and all, all. Well, yeah, he gives himself the sort of receives it from the parliament in a way. You know, his official title, which is Milichev, right? National chief. Uh-huh.
2: You know, he is Big the boss.
0: national chief. He is the boss. He is the man. Just, and he's the national man too. Don't don't get fucking confused about it. He is the national man. And in fact, actually, I've never seen this picture before. Wow, this is a picture of Isma Inun and Jalal Bayar visiting a cloth factory.
2: But they're finding out how many bales of linen go into making a coat.
0: Yeah, I think but also, what the the dripped out politicians page would have a field day with this one, I think. Yeah. But but, yeah, uh, Jalal Bayar there wearing yeah, that, the hat.
1: Um, that, looks, that looks like, um, do you know what I mean, like someone overseeing a drug lab in, like a, but like in a 50s, a 40s gangster movie. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah, I think, that, yeah, this is, late, this is late 30s. So, yeah, I think, I think the vibe is completely correct. Jalal Bayar of course, wearing a hat for some reason. A very Brendan-style look there. Yeah. I mean, like, do, you, do you reckon I could Brendan Jalal Bayar? I oh. reckon I <laughs> Absolutely. I reckon, reckon that would be pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to Brendan him. But also worth noting, isn't it? who was also bald. But, you know... <laughs> mm. Politically and physically. Um, <laughs> it has to be said, right? So, basically, we, we, have a, we have a choice here for where we go, right? We can either spend nine minutes... Talking about a little bit of domestic policy, getting a feel for how we started off domestically, or we can start talking about some of the foreign policy stuff, get a feel for what his what his feelings were about World War Two and how he how he positioned the Turkey in it. What do you reckon, you two?
2: I'm tending towards World War Two. I think it yeah. looms so large over this whole thing it's worth going into.
0: Okay. So this is more like setting a scene for next time, right? Because we need to, I need to explain a particular part of a particular country. In fact, it was in two countries at various points. So, there is a province in Turkey today called Hatay. Now, Hatay is, well, the one bit of officially annexed territory that Turkey has gained since its independence. I phrased that very carefully because we're going to have to talk about other territories Turkey's moved into later that it hasn't formally annexed, but that it has done war crimes in.
2: Oh, boy. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, look, the main one is going to be Cyprus. You know, Mm, the simple simple fact is that, that moving settlers into occupied territory constitutes a war crime. And that is definitely what's happened. So... I there you go. The,
2: the other one that we'll probably have to talk about is, is it Afrin in northeast yes. Syria? Yes, in yeah. Syria,
0: yes. Syria's the other one. I mean, Iraq's the other one. We're going to have to talk about Iraq, Turkey's operations in Iraq. Um, we're going to have to talk about stupid sea border clashes over islands that only have goats on them sometimes. I, it's it's a, yeah, It's a country that likes to throw its weight around a bit more than... You know, for a neutral country and also a country that's in NATO. Mm. You know, it really enjoys throwing its weight around. So, I need to explain what Hatay is, right? Like, it's a province in Turkey today, but what was it? So, we have mandate governments in the Middle East, right? When uh, When the French and the British were... Divvying up in the Balfour Decoration, you remember Balfour, who was very angry at Mustafa Kemal in the last episode. Yeah, they divvied up the um, the Middle East into various mandates. Now, we're, the mandate that matters to us in this conversation is the mandate of Syria, which includes Syria, Hattai, and Lebanon. Right, right. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, this this is already an incredibly complicated region of the world before we even get into the specifics of it. Right, so. Hattai is um is accorded specific and special status within the mandate of syria right it is it is separated from uh sort of the Aleppo governorate state you know it was formerly part of the Aleppo state, but it was accorded separate sort of separate administrative privileges because because of Turkey's positioning in the independence war against France their condition was look this is a region with a significant turkish population uh what i would what what french censuses would indicate was a plurality of turkish people not a majority so they demanded that it have sort of special administrative status within the syrian mandate now syria and france the syrian mandate government because mandate governments work like this there is you know, a local government that is ostensibly, you know, run by the locals because, you know, the mandate system is more like we're just taking care of you, we're making sure it's all okay. You know,
2: yeah, shepherding them towards responsible government, as they would have it.
0: Yeah, that is the you know, it's it's very like white man's burdening actually, just with mm. just with less direct atrocities in a lot of cases than what happened in a lot of Africa, but. That is that is the vibe we should take this with, right? It's oh, uh, we got to teach these fucking people how to have actual government when they've had actual government for thousands of fucking years in these in these parts of the world? What the fuck are we talking about? They've had government like they've had government in what's now Syria for you know, well you know, for longer than British people have existed conceptually. You yeah, know? you know, even like even like ancient Roman conception of Britons, right? Way before that, but but. To give you an idea of what the issue is in Hattai, I'm going to give you the French census, sort of what they call ethno religious groups. I don't like the language that the 1936 French census uses for this, but I don't get to choose that to an extent. So uh, we will go in the order that it is in before me. So Alawis, which is um, a sort of um, a Shia uh, Islamic uh, faith. Uh, they are 28% of the population, are 61,000 or thereabouts. There are 22,000 Sunni Arabs, so about 10%. There are sort of general category for like Greeks and various Christians, 8%. Turks, 39%. Armenians, 11%, and this final category which lumps Circassians, Jews, and Kurds together, which I have to say could have benefited from a bit of resolution there. I reckon 4%. Mm. Right. So the French census puts the total population at 220,000 and the Turks make up according to the French a plurality, right? So there's um there's a lot of issue around the numbers here. The numbers are very um vexing for people. But regardless of what the numbers are like, uh Hatay essentially has a it has a sort of assembly in their sort of provincial government right they Mm. have a what's called a sanjak assembly it's called the sanjak of alexandretta uh, when it's in um, when it's in sort of the french mandate which again very interesting that they kept the turkish administrative division name there but used the um, used the christian latin name for um, for antakya um well, no, is Antioch, but like the general region. But they basically declare independence, right? There is um there is a majority of Turks in the parliament. Now the the assembly election is probably rigged, right? Just I'm just gonna put it out there. Turkey absolutely sent people in to fuck up the result. There's no um there's no doubt about that. There's no um there's no sort of you know specifics about that that you know I it can be used to deny that. And in fact, uh they when they have elections for the mandate as a whole, the the uh the Sanjak returns two MPs who favor Syrian independence from France and not sort of Hatay joining Turkey, right? Yeah. And that causes like riots. Like, full-on communal riots. Uh, so we're talking about a place where we have sectarian tensions, you know, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of anger around it. In fact, we have a quote from Mustafa Kemal about, um, about Hattai. Uh, Hatay is a homeland where Turks lived for centuries and can't be a captive at the hands of the enemy. Oh. And so, Turkish policy for a long time was aimed at Annexing Hatay. And so Hatay forms its government, you know, it has a, you know, people's assembly. But the prime minister and president, when it declares independence, now this is interesting. They're both members of the Turkish parliament. Oh. oh how mm. did that happen? Isn't that interesting? I wonder what's going on there. What are now, the chances? Yeah. <laughs> how straight? How does this keep happening? You know? Oh. Man, how, how does this keep happening? But but uh, Mustafa Kamal sends a telegram congratulating them on their, um, on their independence. Now, it's complicated, right? It's, um, it's kind of like a semi-permeable membrane of a country. It is both independent and not. It is distinct from Syria, but a part of Syria. It is aligned to Turkey and France on military issues. Which, by the way, is a complicated position to be in when one is a belligerent in World War II and the other isn't. Yeah. That is, that is not a simple position to sort of fix for either side on that one, to be honest. But we will get into how this relates to neutrality next time, but we're setting a bit of the scene. There is a significant non-Turkish population in Hatay at this point. Today there is not. Oh. Right? If you want to fill in gaps for yourselves, you know, look up the Hattai state, look up the referendum on Hatai, or wait until two weeks from now, when you'll when get to hear it in all of its, you know, intense detail. But but basically, a lot of things are going to start kicking off, and Hatai's eventual annexation by Turkey is directly connected to Turkey. And how it positioned itself in World War Two, and also if you've heard of Hatay before and you're not Turkish, uh, you've probably heard of it because of an Indiana Jones film, because Hatay was um, was depicted as a sort of Islamic emirate in one of the um in one of the uh, Indiana Jones films. I forget which one, which is kind of funny to me because it was like a nominally secular state. Who's, yeah, yeah. Whose national anthem was the it was the same as Turkey's? Wow, this is so odd. <laughs> ah, strange that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait till you see the flag of Hattai. Wait till you see that. We, we really like flags here on this podcast. So wait till you see the flag of Hattai. Oh, oh. Isn't, that,
2: isn't that an odd one? Yeah, not, oh. not really a very original design. That one, got to say, <laughs> looks familiar.
0: Yeah. yeah, it looks it looks familiar. I wonder what's going to happen. You know, I wonder. I wonder what the shenanigans going to be that's going to get pulled here. But <laughs> we'll have to wait for next week. Well well two weeks. Sorry. Next week from this episode being released will be the bonus episode, which we're gonna go record right now about Turkish Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. Look it's, forward about to that. it's about time. It's about time. I've been ducking the issue of Turkish Star Wars for a while. And I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna finally address it. I'm gonna put Turkish Star Wars on notice, is what I'm saying. Really. <laughs> I'm putting it on notice.
2: <laughs> it's gotta get a grip, man.
0: Yeah, that's it. But on that note, we're off to record the bonus, everyone. If you want to catch that, get on the Patreon. It's yeah. really good. And also you get to go on the Discord where I'll post BAP memes, maybe. And also, <laughs> if,
1: if, if both podcasts get their episodes out on time, listen to Praxis Cast tomorrow, because Sinan will be on.
0: That's right. I will be on, probably. I mean, yeah. I, mean, I guess that's in Stone. I'm going to have to read that fucking book. God damn it. <laughs> and on that depressing note, everyone, goodbye.
1: See ya. Bye.